Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. If you're a climate change activist, you were pretty happy last week, or at least as happy as a climate change activist can be. Today on Parts Per Billion, we talk about the new rule that will require corporations to disclose mountains of climate data to their investors and to the public. Hello, and welcome back once again to Parse Per Billion, the environmental podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So we've talked a lot in this podcast about ESG, or environmental, social, and governance investing, and we're going to be talking about it again today. That's because there was a major development in this field last week. The Securities and Exchange Commission unveiled a long-anticipated proposal that would force nearly all publicly traded companies to report way more info on their impact on climate change. Now, this is significant for two reasons, or at least two reasons. One, the way corporate climate disclosures work now is, with some exceptions, on a more or less voluntary basis. For example, there are guidelines from the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, which, I should say, is chaired by Michael Bloomberg. But those guidelines don't have the force of law, so it's a big deal. But also, another important aspect of the SEC's proposed rules is just how far they go. Companies won't just have to disclose their own emissions, but also emissions from their supply chains, and even, in some cases, their customers. We're going to talk about all of this with Bloomberg News Sustainability Editor Eric Rostin and Bloomberg Tax Reporter Amanda Icone. I'm going to talk with Amanda in a bit about how lucrative these new rules could be for the accounting industry, but first I asked Eric exactly what was in the plan unveiled by the SEC last week. There is a lot in it. It is 500 pages or more. It's been in development in some ways for years. The SEC in earnest has been working on it for about a year. And the gist is that it requires publicly traded companies to disclose to their investors and to file in their SEC reports what their levels of carbon emissions are. And part of the complexity of, of why it requires so many hundreds of pages is that it's it's not one number and it, there's no meter on the side of the factory that tells you what the carbon emissions are. In, uh, in some cases, it's easy to calculate. Um, the, the experts call the different categories of emissions scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. Uh, scope one being uh, direct emissions, like stuff you burn in, your, in the, the fleet of your, of your automobiles, if you own them, or your buses, or whatever it may be. Scope two is like purchased uh, energy through like heating or electricity. And then scope three, which is sort of a monster, 
is uh, like supply chain and consumer use emissions. Right. I w- well, I would definitely want to get into scope three in a little bit. But first, I wanted to draw the distinction here between a company's carbon emissions, their contribution to the problem of climate change, and a company's climate risks. For climate risks, it seems like it's a no-brainer that this would be in the the SEC's uh, jurisdiction here that you know investors need to know if a company faces risks due to climate change or anything else. But why the company's contribution to climate change? That seems like it's a little bit outside of the S- where the SEC usually operates. Can you talk a little bit about that? So, uh, yeah, it's a great question and uh, and a really important one. It's a lot of things related to this are maybe either actually or charged uh, to be outside of the SEC's regular scope because so much of climate change is just deeply weird and our institutions are just not prepared yeah. to to deal with it head on. And uh, the, 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 the people who really uh, analyze companies' emissions talk about two different categories. There's, there's physical risks from climate change, which are obvious enough. They increase risks from, uh, from extreme weather events that we're already seeing and that are largely, uh, in many cases, attributable to climate change. Then there's also what they call transition risks. Uh, and, and these are a uh, diverse basket of risks that uh, may apply to companies and, and hurt or, or help their value. And having a lot of emissions is a problem, particularly if uh, a jurisdiction, you know, a national jurisdiction, a regional jurisdiction like European Union or even subnational jurisdictions, as we see in, uh, in some parts of the world, require uh, carbon pricing. That's a good point. That in other, So to sort of rephrase what you're saying, it sounds like a company's emissions are its risks. Absolutely. And there's also, in addition to the fact that governments may actually levy fees on emissions, there's also reputational risks. And, you know, we've seen uh, a lot of companies attacked uh, by consumers, by investors for uh, for not doing anything with their substantial emissions. So let's get back to scope three, what you were talking about, which are these sort of indirect uh, emissions from their the company's supply chain or from the company's products being used. I have to imagine that's really, really hard to to quantify. How are companies going to do this? There are methods, and it, it is it is a difficult exercise, uh, but there's a way to do it, and companies have been doing it for years. Uh, you know, companies do a lot of hard, complicated things, and this is a new methodology. You know, a, a lot of it deals with, with just analysis of, like, what are your biggest risks? Who are your biggest suppliers? What are your biggest factories? Um, and, and they're not asking for a, a, a line item of literally every mass of, of carbon that comes out of a car in your fleet. Yeah. Um, it's asking for, for judgment. And like if 80% of your emissions come from 10 suppliers, then uh, you figure out the emissions from those 10 suppliers, often by talking to them, and you, you extrapolate. You know, it's not, not an exact science, but, uh, but what is? Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk 
from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Well, let's now talk about how we're going to verify these reports. Uh, Amanda, one of the interesting things about the proposal is that the scope three details are not going to be audited under this proposal, but everything else is going to be. Uh, who's going to be doing this auditing and how are they going to do it? Sure. Well, it's first, you know, just circling back to what Eric was just talking about, it's important to remember that all of this are, these are all estimates, right? There's no hard numbers. Just like he said, there's no thing on the side of the building collecting how much emissions are being emitted, right? That's not how it works. There's formulas and how, you know, based on this core footage. And there are frameworks out there that help companies do this. To Eric's point, they've been doing this for years. Um, the, what the SEC is putting up maybe more specificity around what they should be reporting, kind of a baseline, because there's a lot of variation right now in what companies are and aren't reporting voluntarily. And, you know, one of the, the things the SEC is asking for is for someone outside of the company to come in and give these estimates a second look. Like, how accurate are they? And this this happens with financial statements since time immemorial. Like, this is, you know, nothing new when it comes to earnings, loss, profit, that kind of thing. Right. I mean, the difference here is that these are not financial metrics. Financial accounting standards are very well established. They're very rigorous, complex. Uh, they're... Uh, they have a long history and accountants are very comfortable working with that world. This is a brand new world. This is, uh, you know, the accountants really haven't been involved until this point. And the SEC has also said it doesn't have to be an accounting firm that does that outside verification. It could be an engineering firm. It could be some other sort of boutique firm that's already been doing this kind of work. Because again, we're talking about some sort of science-based engineering type calculus, but it's still an estimate. And accountants test and verify estimates 
all the time. They they also test processes like you know cybersecurity, um, all sorts of computer systems, blockchain. I mean, if a company has it, an accountant can come in and test whether or not it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, whether or not you follow the process correctly, and whether or not investors at the end of the day can rely on the information. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about your story on this when it came out is that uh, it seems like the big four, I mean, there are four big accounting firms or audit firms, they're not really that involved in this. Uh, you kind of alluded to this earlier that, you know, they, this is like a different world for them. So who's going to be doing the audits here? I mean, is it going to be like small, you know, I think you've reported it's smaller engineering firms. Is, do I have that right? Yeah, in the U.S., because we have this voluntary reporting system, the companies can choose whether or not they have these metrics verified, and they can choose who does it. And um, in the U.S., because it's a voluntary system, they've been picking engineering firms, boutique consulting firms that that specialize in in this kind of reporting, Um, and it's not been the accounting firms. And in Europe and other places, that's flipped. Um, Europe is already inching its way towards requiring mandatory assurance. And so a lot of companies have already begun working with their accounting firms to get that, you know, to, to work up to meeting that requirement. And so you see accountants much more involved in other parts of the world. Um, and, and here the SEC has, has left it open. They're willing to consider not just it being the purview of the accounting firms, but that allowing engineering firms and other consulting firms to jump into this market too. The other thing I was thinking about when I was reading your story is that this is going to be really lucrative for these firms that can do this kind of climate accounting. And I wonder if we're going to see a wave of acquisitions where the big four, you know, just snatch up these small firms because they're like, you know, all these companies need to do this now and we want to do it for them. Right. Well, so, you know, it's funny, SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce mentioned that in her dissent. She said that this could be the biggest boom since the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which required another type of audit over internal controls. But, you know, I think here, again, the SEC is leaving it open to other firms to provide this. They've also suggested a really big caveat that might open the door for what you're suggesting, which is the big four to bring in these smaller boutique firms into their mix because the SEC wants these firms to be independent. In other words, you can't help a company set up its controls, set up its data collection, set up its reporting processes, and then go in and audit that information. You're not allowed to audit your own work in the world of the SEC. You know, so companies are going to have to decide who they hire to help them set up those processes and who they want to do the assurance, but it can't be the same firm. So it's possible we could see some acquisitions here. The big four have already predicted that this is a multi, potentially billion dollar business for them, not just on the assurance side, but also on those consulting services. Because, um, you know, a lot of the largest companies are, are well on their way to meeting these proposed requirements, but there's a lot of smaller companies that aren't. And, and let's remember, so the SEC is talking about both the largest U.S. companies and really kind of mid to smaller tier companies, and they're going to have to have assurance potentially. There's a a lot of activity, or at least an increasing amount of activity in something called climate tech, uh, which is a very broad category that covers everything from uh, mobility and and energy to stuff like we're talking about. Uh, PwC did a report in December that tallied up the year in, um, uh, in climate tech investment. And 
there were just uh, 73 deals in their category of climate management and reporting uh, that totaled about $800 million. And a lot of these companies are doing the things that we're talking about, which is writing software uh, or, or helping companies understand their, their footprints. You know, the next, the next sales force for, uh, for carbon is out there. So finally, uh, let's, we've been talking about the companies and the, you know, how they're going to comply with this and, and I guess the burden on them to report this information. Let's talk about the other side of the coin here, which are the people who will be receiving this information, the investors and the public, I guess, more broadly. How do uh, green investors, people, you know, ESG investors, how are they feeling about this? Are they, you know, popping the champagne bottles here or do they wish that this would go a little bit further? I think there's not a lot of popping of champagne bottles in climate change to begin with. Oh, yeah, that's true. I actually, I think it's worth um, uh, it's worth pointing out as much as possible that, you know, people aren't doing this recreationally. You know, the last eight years are the hottest eight years in the 140 plus year record. You know, it was 123 degrees in southwest Canada last summer and the day after the town that uh, you know, set that record, it was destroyed by wildfire, you know, so uh, coastlines are creeping in, um, that's going to have real impact on real estate, it's going to have real impact on tourism. Uh, and uh, when everything is changing, you know, the dollar signs of everything will change. So that's, that's why we're doing this to begin with. Um, now, forward looking uh, investors for at least 20 years have been trying to get a rule like this happen. You know, one proxy is a group called CDP, which used to be the Carbon Disclosure Project, started about 20 years ago. And what they do is they harness investors' voices together uh, and ask companies to, to disclose their, you know, their emissions. And that's how a lot of this got started. So a lot of this is just kind of standard operating procedure at this point, and the SEC just adds muscle to something. You know, half of the uh, Russell 1000 uh, already do something like this with varying quality. Half of the Russell 1000 does not. Uh, and I think moving the whole market into a, a common language is, uh, is what um, proponents of this are celebrating. I, I would just add to that that I think there's relief that the U.S. is moving in the same direction as much of the rest of the world. I mean, Asia is moving in the same direction, Canada, Europe, that, that, that the U.S. is not going to be an outlier. And there's, you know, because U.S. companies are global, they are going to have to report on these metrics no matter what the U.S. does. And they want consistency in that reporting no matter where they have to report it because they don't want to have to do it five different ways for different places. And, and there's, a, there's a real push by the largest companies to get this kind of global consistency. And, and, and this is moving in that direction. And I would also say that CFOs and controllers are probably relieved because they, again, they're accountants, right? They like rules. They like to know what the rules are. Just tell me what it is and I'll do it. They'll make it happen. Their uh, in-house general counsels down the hall might have a very different opinion of this proposal, but you know, corporate accounting departments are already moving to meet these requirements in part because they're coming and they're coming fast from Europe and they're gonna have to do it no matter what the US does. So there is some relief here. Um, but the work isn't over and, the, you know, investors have a lot of demands beyond greenhouse gas emissions. This isn't the end of the road, so to speak. But it is a major it is a major shift in, in securities regulation here in the U.S., to be sure. And that's it for today's episode of Parts Per Billion. If you want more environmental news, check us out on Twitter. We use the handle at Environment. 
just that ad environment. I don't know how we got that, but we have it. I'm at David B. Schultz. If you want to talk with me about anything, that's B as in be careful. Friday is April Fool's Day. Today's episode of Parts Per Billion was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Andrew Satter. Parts Per Billion was created by Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle and is edited by Zach Sherwood and Chuck McCutcheon. Our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks, everyone, for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl Podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.